This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. All right, we are in conversation with the stand-up comedian, the director. He'll be about to be making his directorial debut on Netflix. He is an actor in various TV shows as well. Best known, though, for his stand-up comedy. And he's performing next Friday, September the 1st, Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. You can find his specials on Netflix. I've been a massive fan of this guy for a long time. Mr. Bill Burr. Yeah, he is so funny. But what was it like? As you said, you've been a massive fan of him for a long time. What was it actually like speaking to him? Well, I actually read an article about how he doesn't like being complimented shortly before I interviewed him. So I was about to sort of launch into a kind of unapologetic fanboy kind of (laughs) soliloquy at the start and I dialed that down yeah played it cool I'm kind of glad I did Uh, but I have uh, there are certain clips of his on YouTube I must have watched them 50 times there's a particular clip uh, Chris knows exactly the one I'm talking about he's on Conan he's talking about Lance Armstrong and Oprah Winfrey I've watched that thing I watch that often just to cheer myself up (laughs) it's brilliant he is he loves ranting he kind of has carved a he describes yeah. himself, in fact, as the loud guy at the bar uh. with uninformed logic. And when he senses that he's got an audience uncomfortable, he doubles down yeah. on whatever it is he's going for. And he almost revels in their discomfort. Rolling Stone magazine actually referred to him as the, as the champion of rage-fueled humour. Maybe this is a bit of an inspiration for Robbie Rents. It totally is. Which was kind of a thing that was, yeah. that was running so, for a while. There's no doubt that he has influenced my own tendencies to rant. <laughs> I would say. Not I don't rant. That is the ultimate compliment. I don't rant as effectively as he does, not even close. But and, and as we'll hear, some of his rants are so off piste, it beggars belief. I would liken this because on his podcast last week he said that he'll go out onto stage and he'll see how long he can delay getting into his act. Oh, that's just a riffing test. so that he can give some of his jokes the night off. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you know? Um, so I asked how he developed this rambling style because I would liken it to like solo climbing without a rope. It's comedy's answer to that. It's the most, it's the, it's the purest, it's the most dedicated and also the most dangerous style of comedy. And this is what he had to say. It's like it's like music. It's just an element of it, and you and it's yours for the choosing if you want to. I didn't come up with it. Um, I had that in me, and I think that that's why I gravitated towards comedians that would do it and i would be you know when i was coming up i would open up for these big comedians and some guys did their act the same way night after night and then some you know men and women like switched it up and then there was guys you know women that riffed and i thought the riffing thing was that really appealed to me because it was something you know i was a failed musician and I was really locked in and not free behind the drum kit. It's funny. I actually became a better drummer by learning how to do stand-up because I didn't understand that I was locked up and just sort of stuck with, you know, like whatever I was playing or whatever I heard the drummer playing. I was just sort of just doing what they did, and I didn't know how to add anything creative. So it was just, you know, like a lot of things in life, they transcend, you know, a lot of things in music, comedy, any sort of performance thing you can apply whether it's sports or anything, you can just apply to all forms of performance. So anybody that was free and improvising, be it an athlete, 
or a musician or a comedian that appealed to me. And the thing that I ended up being good at was telling jokes. So it kind of came out in that area. <laughs> and that is, if you think about it, it's like watching Lionel Messi play football. Yeah. There's you a know, freedom. There's a off the cuff kind of. Or an expressionist yeah, artist. That's exactly. Federer. Tennis that, that's, that's, the pu- well. that's the purest expression of a talent, I think. Yeah. Um, to kind of to be unfettered mm. and un- unrestricted or unbounded by, you know, your the, the boundaries the structure. Which, yeah. But uh, what about his writing process? Because he's a very keen observer of everyday life. According to those that know him well, he's got this, you know, unique ability to convert those observations into material almost instantaneously. And here is where he reveals and a remarkable aspect of his own method. Usually just talking on stage. Sometimes it's, it's everything. Sometimes I see something and I'm like, I should talk about that. Sometimes I, I have a thought and I write it down or I see something and I write it down. Sometimes I'm just riffing on stage and I don't even know what I'm saying and I don't even remember it afterwards. Like I had one a set a few weeks ago when I was back in Massachusetts and I don't even remember how I started, but it was more like I went on stage and I had this, mood that I was in and I and I didn't go away from it I just delved into it and then all this stuff came out and I never record myself or anything because I I find it to be a detriment to record it and then try to recreate it or whatever I just feel like if I remember it then I do it if I don't then that's just how that joke came out that night or that's just what I said that night. And, um, you know, I was always a fan of bands that like didn't play the song the same way every night, depending on how you're wired. Some people really, that really makes them better to do it the same way every night. I've seen like these technicians and they're amazing to watch, but the way my brain is wired, that, that style didn't work for me as much as just sort of going up and doing whatever it is that I do. Yeah, so, you know, for some people it works, for other people uh, it doesn't work. It's a little bit more raw, a little bit more kind of genuine in a lot of ways, the way that he's just described there. The fact that every night is a, its own performance, it's a unique performance, depending on what his mood is like, depending on what the wind, what, you know, what way the wind blows, he'll come out, will Bill, and he'll give you a truly unique performance there's a lot to be said for that i love that especially now that we have all these specials on streaming platforms yeah. you've already seen the special then you go to the live show and you see exactly the same yeah, thing it yeah. just doesn't work so it's really i mean it's so impressive that he's able to that do that ability to just say hey if i forget it i forget it i mean you know when, you, when yeah. you're doing a, a gig or something and you're obsessing over remembering certain aspects to be able to have the freedom to just go oh, <laughs> yeah, it's not great sometimes you've got to remember something but oh, if i forget it i forget it that's just how I... That's empowering in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I guess that is, in many ways, the key to really effective public speaking because then you can absorb yourself yes. in the moment yeah, as opposed to worrying about what was in your script. Yeah. And whenever we've chatted to comedians on this show, inevitably and invariably, the sort of cultural climate yes. and the polarisation of said climate is a talking point because comedians, I feel like, they often find themselves on the front line mm. of this. They're often the the sort of target of a lot of acute criticism and they're often also, they feel like they're waging a war against overly sensitive That's types. Ricky Gervais's, I guess, it's the kind of yeah, forefront of that. Exactly that, yeah. So I wanted to ask Bill whether the intensifying of this kind of cultural climate has had any impact on his stand-up and if so, what? No, because it was complete BS. Like comedians are just soft targets so they won't talk about global warming and AI 
And, and like over here, you know, we have like the senators and, and the people in the House of Representatives, they basically voted themselves that you couldn't arrest them for insider trading. And they all make like 200 grand a year. And yet somehow they're all worth like 20 million bucks. For some reason, that's not a story. But if I'm in a comedy club and I do a Caitlyn Jenner joke, you're going to act like the country's falling apart. It was so ridiculous that I didn't pay any attention to it. If anything, I went even harder. And this that just that whole idea, you're canceled. It's like this assumed power. Canceled from what? Like, who are you? Like, who said you're a good person? That's what I love. Like, like who's betting the vetters, you know? <laughs> he does this bit in his stand-up where he says that you know, there was a lot of outrage because they found a tweet some person had done eight years ago. He's like, if you've got to go back eight years to find a, a tweet you can pick apart, that's a pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's that's a sign <laughs> that of a good person. Probably all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eight years. Wow, that's a that's a lot of not being a bleep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I love that. I feel like so many people are diplomatic in that answer. You know, when yeah. you ask them about that, I mean, just love how direct that is. That was not diplomatic you can't, at all. You can't argue the logic, too. No, no, not at all. And he's known for doubling down when an audience is bristling at some of the stuff he's saying. Mm. So I wanted to know if there were subjects he won't touch or he won't go near because they're overdone or they're perceived to be tough, soft targets or, or whatever. I try not to be a hack. Everybody's got a little stink on their act. I do too. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know what, I, I talk about what I want to talk about and I look at it like, if you like it, awesome. If you don't, I get it. And there's a zillion other things that you could be doing. So go have fun with that. And uh, I read this book recently called Man's Search for Meaning. And it was about this from this guy, Viktor Frankl. And he was this doctor and he got put into Auschwitz and he ended up going through four concentration camps. And, uh, you know, and he remembered his memoir and he came out and he wrote the book and ended up selling 75 million copies. So I go to his Wikipedia page because I found the guy fascinating to see how long he lived because he came out of the concentration camp, skin and bones. The guy lived to be like 92. It was really inspiring. And then I see down his page, it says controversy. My like, controversy, what happened, you know? And I looked it up, and his, his own peers, fellow Jews, said, well, he wasn't really in four concentration camps. He just got processed at Auschwitz. He was really only in three. And I got such a kick out of that where I'm like, if this guy's going to get <laughs> for only being in three instead of four concentration camps, why wouldn't somebody criticize my podcast? You know, <laughs> why wouldn't somebody say... My special sucked. It's like if this guy's getting, you know, picked apart. It was funny because before him, my example was the Beatles. There's a lot of people from like, you know, 45 years and under are just like, yeah, they're not that good. And I just I find it hilarious. I'm like, well, you would not find any musician of any merit that would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) So that is a very... Specific good. example, it's isn't a, that? It's a good way of approaching being yeah. criticised yeah. because it, it, it helps you realise, comes to the realisation that everyone that is everyone is criticised and, as he said, who's vetting the vetters? That, yeah. that is a good line as well. Um, so that, that's his stand-up. He's actually been expanding into film and TV. He's created and co-wrote, he's the voice of the lead character in the Netflix animated sitcom F is for Family and he's been on The Chappelle Show. He was in Breaking Bad. He played Patrick Kuby, one of the fixers for uh, Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad. He was also Miggs Mayfield in uh, The Mandalorian Zone. Yeah, and when I found that out, I was like, what? He was in the... And then all of a sudden it clicks. You're like, that guy. 
Yeah. You know, you don't you don't put it together because you don't associate Bill Burr in that kind of setting. And, That's it. And of course, yeah. Yeah. So he's been in Breaking Bad and The Mandalorian. And this October, he's going to make his directorial debut in the Netflix film Old Dads. It's an autobiographical picture about three guys in their 50s who sell their business to millennials and find themselves thoroughly out of step with the modern world. Actually, Bill, in real life, he became a dad later on in life at the age of 48. So, however... He explained to me that there was a reason he couldn't divulge too much on this. I'm actually not allowed to do, to, talk, to, to promote divulge. that because we're ah. on strike. We're on strike right now. Oh, I see. Because okay. the people at the top, they just they just can't get enough money. They you know they just can't have enough mansions in Los Angeles. They only have two. They need three. It's so ridiculous. Like the level. That's another thing too. You know, is they're going after comedians and their jokes. It's just about what about the just complete out of control greed that has destroyed the middle class over here? Ah, not important. Did you hear what Dave Chappelle said? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's all it's just a big misdirection by the people stealing from you. So yeah, during this last you know, as far as like the adjustment, I just really stayed away from comedians that were openly trying to get other comedians cancelled. I mean, I understood if, if the comedian did something to them, but if they weren't even there and they were just chiming in trying to help somebody get canceled, I'm like, that's wild behavior to me. Because it's like, you weren't there. And what this person's being accused of, there's a career on the line, there's, there's all of this stuff that's on the line. I don't think you should be chiming in unless you have information. And that's something I would never do. Mm. I would never trash a comedian publicly and if somebody did something to me i would go to the cops <laughs> what you know, i mean what are you gonna do you know what i love about this is he's genuinely funny just in a conversation you know we've, talked, we've spoken to a number of comedians and that's actually a bit rare you know you're expecting people to be funny because they're funny people and then they're just kind of having a regular chat with you well that's it it's just so funny. when he goes on a chat show he's very funny but it never feels like a bit yeah it never feels like a rehearsed routine it's just him kind of spitballing incidentally that writers guild of america strike that's, that's been going on since the second of may and Thanks. it's now the longest interruption to american film and tv production since the pandemic yeah in 2020 crazy you just wonder how long could that go on yeah. for um so Bill was warming up to his rants at this point. So given that he's a dad of two young kids, I asked him what he found to be the scariest thing about the world we're living in and the one they're heading into. Global warming and AI and the uncontrollable greed sociopaths and the fact that sociopaths tell mouth breathers what to think. And nobody does anything. And also our news media is, is down to two channels. So you're down to basically two people's point of views. Dead Ted Turner and old Rupert Murdoch. And they have everybody, like regular people should be coming together and, for, and, and seeing that these madmen are driving us over the cliff. Instead, we sit there and yell and call each other, you liberal this and you conservative that. It's exactly what they want, you know. So it's actually, it's so overwhelming that um, I kind of live like a really little life. I try to just, play with my kids every day, and I, when I go out in the world, I try to be nice. I'm not always successful, but that's the only thing I can seem to do, or else I will look at it too much and I will fall into a massive depression. How's that for an answer? It's, it's a good <laughs> answer, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? That was very Boston, wasn't it? Yeah, How's that? Oh, I'm going to get depressed, whatever. Uh, Chris, you're going to enjoy this one. Bill's a massive sports fan. 
He supports Liverpool, oh. I hate to say it. And being from Boston, don't worry, he's going to redeem himself. He's a die-in-the-wall Pats fan, much like yourself, Chris. Although you haven't been much of a Pats fan since Tom Brady left. I'm a Brady fan. You're a Brady fan. But um, I asked Bill for his thoughts on how insane amounts of money is corrupting sport. <laughs> Here you remember when said. you were like a little kid, okay, and you're in the neighborhood, you're going to get a game going? And if it got too lopsided, if there's too many good kids on one team, even as kids, you were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you, even as kids, you knew where would the satisfaction be if all the athletic kids beat up the nerds in some game. <laughs> and I, it, it's happened in like the NBA. It's happened in um, baseball over here. And it's stupid. And then, and then what they do is they pile on. They get these pile. They're called pile on championships over here. These people start, you know, because they're just selling the game. They're like, historically, how does so-and-so compare to Jordan? This guy has five. Jordan has six. It's like Jordan didn't bounce around the league. You know what I mean? Jordan didn't join the Pistons. He beat the Pistons. You know what I mean? He didn't like, oh, I can't get past the Celtics. I'll, I'll, I'll join. You know, Larry didn't join the Lakers. Magic didn't join the Celtics. This whole jumping around. So if that's what you're talking about, as a sports fan, I find it, I don't even watch it. It's just boring as hell. And, um, but it's becoming the norm. And um, I feel like today's sports fan is raised on that. You don't try to beat the best. You just join the best. And then you, you do all this celebrating after every dunk or home run that you hit. It's, it's really stupid. I mean, I, I don't know. Call me weird, but I watch sports to see competition. Like, I remember a long time ago when, when, this, when the United States had the dream team. And we, we would beat, like, Ethiopia by 100 points. I didn't watch one second of it. <laughs> and I thought the behavior was embarrassing. They were, like, dunking on them and putting their <laughs> in their face and stuff. It was just like, this is a new sport to them. But, you know, you know what was funny is they beat up, you know, everybody that they played so bad. But it actually, it, it did serve a purpose because I feel like Europe, like, elevated their game to the point now, like some of the best players in the NBA are European players. So it did serve a purpose, but like, I've just found it, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to see magic Larry and Jordan play Siberia, you know, in, in a game of basketball. It's like, all right, well after that, they'll go cross country skiing and they'll kick your ass. It's just, it was just stupid. So I, I, uh, I did mention that Nikola Jokic is indeed now the NBA's best player. And Bill randomly said he was a big fan of the yes. Serbs' championship celebrations. I just love that he was just like, all right, great. Can we go home now? <laughs> I, lo I love – it's just like, yeah, you know, it's just a job. Anybody who says he likes it, blah, blah. Like, that guy at his young age so understands life. That life is about being at home and being with your friends and being where you feel is home. And all of this stupid, you know, standing in the spotlight and all that, is, it's all BS at the end of the day. Because his career's going to end someday, all right? And the people that loved him before are the ones that are going to love him after. Smart guy. Yeah, love him. Very matter of fact is Bill. He's yeah. got a great outlook on life. Yeah, yeah, he, he does. takes no BS. He, does, does he? he absolutely does not. He does not suffer fools. And a special thanks to you, Chris, for this final question. You've really teed me up here because I, I needed to ask Bill a, a question about the Patriots, obviously. So I asked whether Ezekiel Elliott's yes. arrival had raised his hopes of the Pats and Bill Belichick producing the goods in this forthcoming NFL season. I'm really excited. Uh, you know, we 
we drafted this kid uh, out of LSU, Boutte, who I think he might be, uh, you know, last year Mac Jones had no targets. Neither did Cam Newton and neither did Tom Brady as last year with us. So we've had a problem at the receiving position for a while. Edelman getting hurt and then retiring. So I, I think, I don't know how much Ezekiel Elliott can help us without a passing game. So, I mean, it definitely will help Mac Jones, but he's going to have to shoulder a lot of the weight depending on how our wide receiving crew does. But I do like that no one's really talking about us, and they're kind of just talking about the Jets and the Bills, which I'm really excited for that first Monday night game. So, um, yeah. whatever. I'm, I'm a Pats fan no matter what their record is. I love them. I'm going to watch every game. You know, of all the guests, I just jotted this down that we've had on the show Bill is the kind of guy you would just love to go to the pub with. Yeah, no doubt. He'd be amazing. But he'd be high up on my list yeah. of pub companions. Just to shoot the breeze. Yeah, with. exactly. Because yeah. he's, you know, he's, he loves his sport and he's got a great take on so many of the kind of the talking points that, you know, we encounter online all the time. Did you drop in the fact that you'd be going to his show? Oh, massively, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. He, he didn't say, oh, yeah, come on. Come on, yeah, come back. to that. He's like, yeah, I loved it, buddy. See you down there. There's going to be 20,000 people down there, Bill, so we are unlikely to see one another, but I appreciate you nonetheless. He's performing at the Etihad Arena September the 1st, and according to Ticketmaster.ae and EtihadArena.ae, the show is sold out, but you may be able to find some tickets somewhere online, and I might have one up my sleeve for next week. Ooh. We shall see, though. We shall see on that. So watch this space on that front. But uh, massive, massive thanks to Bill for sparing the time to chat to us on Offscript. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.